Hey guys, it's Dr. Childs here, and we are going to talk about Hashimoto's and diet today, okay? And specifically what I'm going to be doing is talking about all of the diets that um, exist that actually help or may help reduce the antibodies and help you lose weight if you have Hashimoto's disease, okay? So as a primer, this is me. I'm, I'm right up here. This is my blog. Uh, I'm Dr. Childs, and this, this blog post is specifically about the best Hashimoto's diet, um, and you'll soon find that that's, um, there isn't a quote-unquote best diet, uh, but there may be a best one for you, and so that's exactly what we're going to go over, okay? So I'm going to scroll down all the way over here, and as you can see, this this uh, blog post has, um, I'm grateful that it has, you know, over 2,000 shares, so it's been pretty popular um, with patients, and it has a lot of helpful information, and I want to just put it into words so that I can help you guys as much as possible. So when we talk about diet, especially in the setting of Hashimoto's, um, there's a lot of confusion out on the internet, uh, especially um, when patients start start talking to other patients because they'll say, hey, I, I did this diet and it really helped, or I did that diet and it really helped. And so you're thinking, oh, well, I need to do this diet or I need to do that. And it doesn't really work that way. Every single person is unique. Every single person is different. Um, and each one of you has different medical conditions. All right. And you need to tailor the dot, your diet to the specific conditions that you have. Okay. And so there, there, there's a list of several diets that can help patients with Hashimoto's. And what you need to figure out is which one is going to work best for you. And so that's exactly what this blog post goes uh, or talks about. And that's what we're going to discuss today. So that I have this, this big picture that's really helpful to look at. It's five diets that help reduce antibodies in Hashimoto's. All of these diets are ones that um, I have used in my clinic with success. And so they're all ones that I have treated patients with. And I, I know that they work some better than others, but that's what we're going to talk about. So um, number one, we're going to go into detail about the elimination diet. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry. We'll talk about it, and we'll talk about who should consider using it. Uh, number two is the autoimmune paleo protocol, um, otherwise known as the AIP diet. Um, again, I'll talk about who should do that. The third one we're going to be discussing today is going to be the gluten-free diet, and I'm sure you guys have heard about that one. The fourth one will be the paleo diet, which is different than the autoimmune protocol or AIP diet. And then the fifth one is going to be the low FODMAPs diet. Um, and ma many of you may not have heard of this one. Um, and so that's why I'm going to spend a little more time explaining how this could be helpful for you. Uh, and then also, I probably won't talk about this too much uh, throughout this video, uh, but it is worth knowing, noting that there are diets that make Hashimoto's worse, so you should avoid these at all costs, okay? And number one of, of these, the three that I, that I list, there are some other ones, but um, number one would be the low-fat diets, any and all low-fat diets, um, because that necessarily means high-carbohydrate diet or high-sugar diet, so you want to avoid those. Number two is the very low-carbohydrate um, diet or nutritional ketosis, <clears throat> so that would be diet, just diets that completely eliminate all carbohydrates, and, and we'll talk about why that is. And then any and all low-calorie low calorie diets, so you do not want to ever be on less than 1,200 to 1,400 calories per day if you have thyroid disease of any kind because that is going to result in more thyroid damage to your body and you're going to feel like crap. Okay, so you want to avoid those diets at all costs. But let's jump into um, the first of the five diets that I wanted to discuss today. And that one is, it has several names, but um, I call it here the food sensitivity diet. You might know it, know it as the elimination diet. And what it is basically is, a diet that attempts to remove any foods that may be causing inflammation in your body or foods that you might be sensitive to. And I want to I, I wanna talk about the difference between an allergy and a sensitivity here because a true allergy uh, to food would be something like shellfish in which you might react with 
uh, swelling in your of your mouth and lips and things like that versus a sensitivity which may just kind of make you feel a little run down could get a runny nose may get abdominal pain gas bloating things like that but those are two very different things okay and it's possible to have a lot of food sensitivities and someone may say well you've got food allergies but that's not entirely true because you can a lot of the times reverse those sensitivities um, if you pull out um, certain foods and so there, the, there's a couple ways you can do that um, you can do the blood testing for food sensitivities and that's done by doing this test called a delayed IgG food sensitivity testing um, this is better than the the skin prick test or, or other testing that you might get it's a delayed IgG and I, this is uh, Dr. Amy Myers here. She has a little video explaining the difference between different or why you would want this test over other tests. I'm not going to go over that today, um, but you're, feel free to get on this and watch. I think it's only a couple minutes. Uh, the other way to do it, so you have the first option would be let's let's order your blood. We'll check the IgG antibodies in your blood and let's see which ones you react to and kind of go from there. The second way to do it, and this is kind of the way that I tend to prefer patients start out with, um, depending on how bad their symptoms are but would just be to eliminate foods systematically. And so you can see a list of foods that I put here that are the most common allergens in certain patients or foods that cause are likely to cause sensitivity. So dairy products, wheat products, corn products, um, peanuts, tomatoes, shellfish, citrus fruits, juices, sugar, chocolate. I mean, you could read the whole list here. But these are the ones that a lot of people react to. And it's not that you have a true allergy to these foods, but what can happen is if you have inflammation in the gut, if you have certain sensitivities to begin with, you're more likely to develop other sensitivities which aren't true. So let me give you a perfect example of what happens in a lot of patients that I see. They come in to see me, they're, you know, they've recently been diagnosed with Hashimoto's, they um, feel like they're reacting to everything, lots of joint pain, inflammation, post-nasal drip, runny nose, chronic pain, things like that, um, and I'll test their blood and I'll, I'll find out they have celiac disease and they never knew, or they have a they really do have a gluten, um, uh, they have like elevated antibodies to gluten. And so I'll tell them to remove antibodies or to remove gluten from their diet. And what you'll find is suddenly when they've removed gluten from their diet, they can then start to tolerate some of these other foods, whereas before they weren't able to. So that's a case where inflammation in the gut can predispose you to developing sensitivities, but they're not true allergies, okay? Um, I, I'm going to get into why I think you, you should eliminate gluten, dairy, and soy no matter what, if you have Hashimoto's, that should kind of be the first step. But this is a more advanced um, diet to consider. You can kind of see here, I've, I've given you some resources that you can just click on and, and look at. So you can take away all of the, the foods that are there, and then you can slowly and systematically reintroduce those foods after you've allowed the inflammation to cool off, the gut to heal. You can reintroduce these foods, and most of the time, you'll be able to tolerate it when you do the reintroduction. Um, does it work? Yes, it, it works quite well. Um, I was having a discussion with a, a colleague of mine, and one of the go-to ways that, uh, or one of the best ways that, that we found to, to treat patients is to do something like this. You do gluten, dairy, um, soy-free, and then you do the elimination testing to remove anything that has like a plus three or plus four um, sensitivity to it on it, and the combination of those things seems to be very, very powerful. Just doing the elimination diet by itself can help a lot of people, though. I don't want to discount that. So, yes, it works. Uh, not for everybody, um, but yes, it definitely does work. And I want to point out that you don't necessarily have to get that delayed IgG food sensitivity testing. Um, it is very helpful if you do get it, but you don't absolutely have to do it. And so I bring that up because you may need a doctor to order that test, but there's nothing stopping you from right now. Just click going to my website, going up here, clicking on 
this list of foods and then eliminating them right now. I mean, there's nothing stopping you from doing that. And if your symptoms match, you can easily do that. So what I've done is I've given the pros and cons here. I'm not going to go over that right now because you can, you can read them yourself. But I, pretty much everything you would need is right here in front of you. Um, who should consider going on the elimination diet? So I, I put here patients or people that react with itching, swelling, hives, runny nose, post-nasal drip, um, especially after eating certain foods. Um, so that would be one reason to do it. Uh, people who have a, a history, a personal history of asthma or eczema that seem to go together. Okay, so these are people that are kind of a little twitchy and just very, very sensitive to foods and allergens. Um, and then, of course, people who have failed the more basic diets, like if you just wanted to do gluten-free for some reason and it wasn't working, or soy-free or grain-free. I mean, I, patients do kind of whatever. If they, if they heard a friend did it and it works, they're, they're willing to try anything. So, you know, if you failed one of those diets before, it's not worth, you know, you probably need to amp up... Um, uh, your dedication and go a little bit more uh, intense in terms of your dietary changes. So anyone with these uh, matching these symptoms should consider that, um, but you can also get that, that testing and, and everything if you want to uh, get going that way or you feel more comfortable doing it that way. Um, so that's number one, the elimination diet. Number two is the auto, autoimmune paleo diet or the AIP diet. Okay, and this is a basically a much stricter version of the paleo diet to begin with so if you just to put it in a uh, to simplify it just take the the paleo diet but then exclude nuts seeds eggs legumes and nightshades and now you pretty much have the AIP diet so you can see it's it's pretty restrictive and and it's not my favorite diet if you start going around out on the internet you'll find that some people will say it's AIP or bus I don't agree with that completely I, I don't think it's a, a diet that everyone should be on um, certain patients I put them on and you're going to say, well, what about that patient you did a case study on that lost 30 pounds on it? Yeah, I know. I, I, I mean, again, it depends on you and it depends on your body. Um, but some people have success with it and other people don't. It really just depends. So what I've done here is I've, I've put a, a whole list of, um, all of the, uh, foods that are allowed. You can kind of go through this. I've got another, some cheat sheets for you on foods to include and foods to avoid because it can get a little nuanced and a little, um, difficult to kind of sort through. So, these resources will help you figure that out, um, you know, so you don't have any, so your questions will be minimal. Uh, does it work? Yes, it definitely works. Um, the only issue I see is that some people have difficulty with the reintroduction of foods afterwards. They seem to develop oral um, tolerance, and so that, that can be an issue for many people. Uh, because of that, I don't routinely recommend it to every patient, but the patients who should consider using it are those who have multiple autoimmune conditions. So if someone comes in to see me and they have Hashimoto's and type 1 diabetes and thrombocytopenia or idiop ITP or idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura, something like that, multiple autoimmune diseases, I'll say, okay, this is somebody that probably has, you know, very reactive to multiple foods. They're somebody that needs to be on a pretty strict, intense diet. So someone like that, I would consider it in. Definitely somebody who has failed all the other um, less restrictive diet. So if you did the elimination diet without success, if you did the um, gluten-free or paleo, whatever it is, um, and you failed those ones, or meaning you didn't have the, the results that you were looking for in terms of antibody reduction or weight loss, then this would be something to consider as well. Um, and there are, are some people who want to do the most intense version of everything. Okay, and there's, Some of you out there are like that, and that's perfectly fine. You're going to say, well, whatever it is, I want to do the best one. Okay, This is, I'd probably, I mean, I don't want to put into that category, but it definitely is one of the more intense diets to do. Some people consider it the, 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 the best in terms of the most restrictive. So you could jump into it if, if that was sort of your personality. Okay. 
Number three, gluten-free diet. Pretty sure most of you guys know what it is. Um, I'm not going to talk specifically what it is about gluten. It's you know it, it's, it's some it's a, a protein basically gliadin and and uh, gluten are are parts of um, certain foods that can be very reactive to people or to patients with a certain sensitivity. So I'm not going to get into that, but I do want to point out that there are two specific syndromes here that are worth mentioning. Okay, the first is celiac disease. Okay, and then the second is non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Um, otherwise known as in the liter literature NCGS. Okay, celiac disease is a true autoimmune disease, meaning if you come into contact with gluten or um, gliadin or its particles, your body will mount a an immune response to um, that component or to to that uh, piece of protein, and it will result in inflammation. It will result in damage. You'll get systemic symptoms. It causes a lot of issues. Okay, and so it's celiac disease, but I, I want to point out is an autoimmune disease. And that should be differentiated from the from NCGS or non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which is just a sensitivity to the gluten particle. Both are real, though. There are there there's data to prove that both exist. So so people that just go gluten free for you know air quotes here with because it's a fad diet and they get better. That's probably because they had NCGS, not just because it's in their head or whatever. Um, and so there are two separate two separate entities here, but both will improve by removing gluten. Um, I have some more cheat sheets for you to give you an idea of, of where, where gluten is and, you know, run from it and yum, yum eat it, I guess. So does it work? Yeah. I, I'm going to take a minute and say that if you have Hashimoto's and you haven't gone gluten-free, you pretty much should, you need to. You should definitely consider that, okay? Um, it, it's uh, very immunogenic. In fact, uh, a lot of patients with um, Hashimoto's have high crossover rates uh, to developing celiac disease. Even if they don't have it now, they may certainly develop at a later time in their life. Um, you can get some more info and some pros and cons on this. So who should consider it? I, I recommend you going gluten-free if you have Hashimoto's for at least three months. Um, that's kind of what I'd consider the standard. Uh, I also recommend it if you have a family history of celiac disease, Hashimoto's, or, or other thyroid problems. If you're, and most thyroid patients know this because they've asked around in their family, but if you go back in line, you're like, well, my mom's on, my mom's on thyroid disease, my, my aunt, my aunt is, my, my sister is, but you know, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That family history, um, probably means you guys are just more susceptible, um, to, to developing Hashimoto's or autoimmune diseases in general. Cut out the gluten. Um, you know, that, that's, that's, would be your first step. And then I've also found great success in having people with chronic migraines, cluster headaches, chronic headaches, um, issues with acne or multiple GI symptoms like irritable bowel or IBD. Um, who go gluten-free get almost immediate improvement um, over the course of several you know weeks or so. Um, so those are the patients I would consider doing this. If you're going to do this though, this is my little quick tip here, you need to do it 100%. It's not like you can just try to go gluten-free for a little bit or be 95% gluten-free. If you're going to do it, give it 100% and do, and do it the right way. Okay, so there's definitely a right way to do it and a, a wrong way to do it. So you don't want, just want to go to the grocery store and start buying gluten-free um, breads and pastas and things like that and eating the same food you did, that's not really going to be helpful. But that's not a conversation we're going to have today. Um, but there are tons of resources to get you started on that, okay? Uh, number four is the paleo diet. Uh, most of you, I think, are pretty familiar with the paleo diet. That's probably one of my, um, you know, uh, one of my favorites to get people started on initially. Um, just because it, it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, you start with real whole foods, 
Um, there's lists of foods that foods that you can eat over here and the ones to avoid. Um, I use some of these these images to kind of put uh, to make that point more obvious. Uh, but you you can you can read through those if you want. I'm not going to go over that one too much. Does it work? Absolutely. Paleo can help a lot of patients. Um, there there are a lot of people that have blogs dedicated to paleo by itself, showing that it works quite well. You can see the pros and cons here. Um, and then I have who should consider it. I would say, typically what I'll do is if a patient comes in and they're not really willing to make changes or they're not, you know, they haven't been quite convinced that the diet has a big impact on Hashimoto's, um, if they've already failed like gluten-free, I'll say, okay, now, you know, you gave it a shot. Let's, let's amp it up a little bit. But also people that have a, symptoms like these. So acne is another big one, depression, anxiety, or other psychiatric um, issues, lots of fatigue or eczema, um, allergies, either environmental or seasonal, post-nasal drip, which is, you know, just chronic runny nose or stuffy nose, GI symptoms like IBS or IBD, um, acid reflux, and then chronic constipation. And then if you have, if you're coming into, if you're reading this and you're like, this is, this information is too complex, I, you're like, I don't even know where to start, I'm brand new, I just found out I have Hashimoto's and now you're telling me all these things, what, what are you talking about? Okay, if you, if you don't know anything else, start here. Paleo is pretty easy, right? There's tons of information out on the internet. You can just Google how to start paleo. I never actually tried that, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm positive that you can find all the information you need just by doing that. Okay. Um, so it's a good, good first place to start. Then the last one I want to talk about is the low FODMAPS diet. So you're, you're probably going to, well, I, yeah, I don't know how many people have heard about it here, but you'll probably say, well, what, what the heck is low FODMAPS? What is that? Well, it's an acronym. Okay. And it stands for fermentable oligo dye monosaccharides and polyols. All right. And so basically what these are, it's a, it's a class of sugars and carbohydrates that are highly fermentable to bacteria in the gut and to certain species of yeast. And so that, that uh, can lead to a lot of symptoms of things like gas and bloating and patients who have the so-called candida or yeast overgrowth usually also have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO. And this is one of the diets to consider in treating that. And you'll, you'll say, well, how, how can this low FODMAPS diet impact Hashimoto's? Well, that's a great question. Most of these conditions like yeast overgrowth and SIBO are, are inflammatory conditions that lead to local inflammation in the GI tract, chronic constipation, changes in the, in the intestinal microbiota, which can then lead to increased permeability at the intestinal wall. And that is all a fancy name for describing what you guys are, definitely know as leaky gut, okay? So I don't like that term because it's it's very nonspecific, but essentially what, what this, this diet does is it targets the the overgrowth and changes of bacteria that occur in the GI tract as a result of these things. And this is so, so, so important, important for patients who have Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism because thyroid hormone helps activate the GI tract and move food through the intestines. And that, that sort of natural movement of the um, GI tract constantly is known as peristalsis. And it's, it's just a rhythmic, slow motion um, of your intestines all the time. And if you have low thyroid in your blood, that slows down. So even if it slows down by 75, 80, well, not that much, maybe 20, 25% or so, that allows for stool and food to stay in your GI tract longer, which means that the bacteria and the yeast can eat more of it, cause more fermentation, cause more byproducts, and lead to symptoms. Okay, so that's why treating SIBO can be so difficult and, and that's why you have to do the diet. But in addition, you have to make sure you're treating um, 
with adequate amounts of thyroid hormone. So um, I have a list here, so you can you can go you can look at the shopping list of vegetables, fruits, dairy, etc. Um, you know, does it work? Yeah, it definitely works, but not for everybody. I mean, this is one of those diets that's a little bit nuanced. I wouldn't just say if you know you're recently diagnosed and you don't know where to start. This is probably not the one to start with. This uh, requires a little bit of knowledge in terms of your GI tract. This is probably for more seasoned people who have, you know, tried paleo and other things and, and didn't do real well. Um, so who should consider it? Um, I have patients here that's, that I've listed would be patients who have a history of SIBO or small intestinal bacteria overgrowth or Canada yeast overgrowth. Either they have been diagnosed or they have all the symptoms. Um, classic signs of, of these syndromes would be somebody who has gas and bloating despite a change in their diet and especially if that gas and bloating is 30 to 60 minutes after they've eaten, or just all the time. But those, those specifically um, are the symptoms to look out for. And then, of course, people who have failed less restrictive diets, that you're kind of getting the, uh, um, the trend here. If you've tried a, a, least, uh, a diet that's not as restrictive, you failed it, well, guess what? It's time to move up, time to, move up to the more intense ones. Um, I'm not going to go over some, the soy-free and wheat-free diets, but just know that they, they are helpful. I did tell you before of the diets that you would you would want to avoid. Low fat is definitely one. Do not adopt the, the general guidelines. Low fat necessarily means high carbohydrates um, and that's definitely not something you want to do. It's going to increase your insulin and make things worse. Um, I did include the very the diets you should avoid of number two would be the very low carbohydrate diet or nutritional ketosis. And it's not that people can't do well on these diets. It's that a lot of patients who are in the conventional model, they're being undertreated with their thyroid, usually, not always, usually. Um, and in addition to that, they also have issues with adrenal fatigue. So if you take a patient like that and you um, restrict their carbohydrates significantly, they're going to feel worse. Okay, Even though they might lower inflammation, they might even lose a couple pounds, it's going to put an increased demand on the adrenal system um, and, the, and thus the uh, thyroid system and you'll feel a little bit crummier. So I don't typically recommend that unless you're being monitored by a physician um, or you, you know, you're pretty advanced, you have a lot of research under your belt and you've done a lot of reading on this stuff. And then this one, um, you, you know, number three in terms of diets you should avoid, this would be any and all low-calorie diets. You should not be eating, you know, I put this little picture of the plate here with uh, lettuce leaves, I think, on that. But you, you got it. You cannot do diets like this. Um, and it's so tempting for a lot of you because you know you'll say, well, Dr. Childs, if I eat more than 1,400, 1,500 calories, I'm going to gain weight. I understand, and that, that could be the case, um, but, but the solution to that is not to completely restrict your calories constantly to further damage your metabolism. So do not do these, these diets. You are going to have to slowly heal your metabolism, and we're not going to talk about that because it's a whole other subject, but you have to heal your metabolism and slowly increase your diet, otherwise you will constantly damage your thyroid. Okay, um, And that's, that's pretty much it. You can read through some of these other things in this, in this blog post. It's very long, very detailed. Um, and I go over a, a lot of the same techniques I use um, in my patients. And um, I want to just give this information to you guys so you can get started. I know it can be daunting if you've just been recently diagnosed. Um, but there are a lot of things that are within your power that you could change. Okay, So my goal for you would be to read this and say, oh my gosh, I fit into you know whatever, I, I, the, the low fat on side. I've never even heard of that. So what is that? Let me try it. So something like that, um, that that's, that's what I've intended this uh, to be for. Um, but I have to say also, diet by itself is not the only thing to consider. Diet is just one piece of this overall puzzle. So most of my patients, diet is, is I change their diet immediately upon coming in, but this is one of you know eight or nine therapies that I'm doing kind of simultaneously. So 
Um, but I do want to focus on this just for this uh, video because it's something you have power over, okay? So guys, I hope you enjoyed this. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to uh, leave them in the comments below um, or you know, go to my website and leave them on this blog post if you'd like. Um, also, don't forget to subscribe um, so you can get more videos and, and um, um, audio and podcasts like this. So if you enjoyed it, let me know. Otherwise, I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks.